Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by David Applefoot, founder of Asymmetric, a firm which produces a unique and versatile building system. David, hello. Hi. Thank you for coming on the program today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? The word leader means someone who can motivate others and be an equal to them in what they do. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? I would would say that I am a democratic leader. So you like to have a real collaborative workplace? Yes. Now, I uh, before we uh, started this interview, I had a quick look on your uh, uh, how your building system works, and I find it incredibly interesting. Uh, could you describe a, a bit to the listeners at home uh, how your whole system uh, operates? Okay, we have come from a different direction. We are much more into uh, car building, aircraft building, and also uh, ship building type technologies, which require high precision in their manufacture, like special purpose machines. So we looked at the housing industry, and unfortunately what we saw was something that really dated back many, many years. Even the Romans were building buildings, possibly as good as we're building today. They didn't know about electricity, but they surely knew about how to make buildings as well. <clears throat> we decided to relook at buildings and come up with a method which was a simplified uh, panel system where all the panels could interface in all three uh, planes, the floor, the walls, the ceilings, and also the roofs as well could also interface with these uh, panel pieces. And this would enable us then to come up with a system whereby we could build the whole of the superstructure using a single anvil by clamping the the units together and thereby uh, creating a post-tension building, which was uh, helpful in areas where there might be subsidence or earthquakes, and also in in, in um, bad weather conditions whereby the system would be completely post-tensioned. We would then clad the system using conventional means and we would then end up with a system that could be built by the uh, electrician or the plumber or the decorator because it was very simple to produce. You wouldn't need an actual builder to build the superstructure. It is incredible that you would be able to have uh, such a time-saving and also, I'd imagine, energy-efficient building. Um, I'd imagine they all come pre-insulated? Yes, these these buildings meet the highest of standards. We can meet any standard on insulation. We meet all the fire, and this is very important. The fire is the big one. We can also have enormous structural strength within the system. So the system is, is quite unique, and we've taken a completely different approach. We started with a blank sheet. And we are now ready to commercialize the system, having finished the complete R&D phase. And we have several buildings, uh, three or four schools, and we have now built our very first uh, uh, semi-detached three-bedroom, five-person house. And we're now ready to move into mass production. And we are currently 
uh, waiting to raise funds. We've taken on a, a new uh, CEO, um, and his role is now to take us into full commercialization. And myself and my colleague will support him with our knowledge, but he will now be taking the company into full commercialization and raising the suitable funds around about 20 million to build a suitable factory. Now, David, all this takes quite a lot of motivation from your staff, I would imagine. How do you keep them at that high level of readiness and motivation? I've always said that you never work for anyone. No one has ever worked for me, and I have never worked for anyone else. We might report to people, and we certainly work for an entity, but we don't work for the individual. An individual pays his own mortgage or rent, and therefore, this business about I'm someone's boss, to me, is completely wrong. You work together as a team, and you share information. It doesn't matter if someone knows a little less than you or knows a little bit more than you. At the end of the day, unlike when you're at school and you're not able to look over someone's shoulder because that's cheating, it is the complete reverse when you're in business. Mm. When you're in business, you need to lead from the front. Obviously, you need the skills. In my case, I'm an engineering designer, a fellow of the Institution of Engineering Designers, which is a royal chartered institution, by the way, and also a member of the Institute of Pansies and Inventors. So I'm perfectly capable of doing the 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 hard graft myself, and then I'm able to transfer that knowledge to my staff, be they uh, engineers or even be they administrative staff, so that we can work as a complete integrated team. There is no such thing as cheating within an organization, within the entity. You need to share your information, and also you should never, ever allow employees to say to someone, oh, don't you know that? I I get quite furious if people say that because at the end of the day, none of us know everything and it's absolutely essential to share knowledge. And share knowledge you have, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you have over 50 patents. Is that correct? Yes, I have some 50 patents to my name. Now, let's go back to the very beginning of your story to see how this all started. Uh, When you were first entering the world of work, were there any particular influences on you, whether they be a set of circumstances or maybe a particular individual that you either worked with or for who really formed the way that you lead today? Yes, this this was my uh, I went to a grammar school. And the grammar school was really more academia than it was technical. I had a bent towards technical. Maybe I should have gone to a technical school rather than a, a grammar school. But nevertheless, oh, in my final two years, I had a very good teacher who taught us engineering drawing or drawing. And he was really excellent. And that really inspired me because I managed to get distinction in engineering drawing. I wasn't so good at the math. I was good at art. However, when I then left um, the, uh, the grammar school, I was invited to take part in a youth and training scheme with the then GPO engineers, which was the power engineers in London on electrical power engineering. And they allowed me to go to day release. And it was then when I went to day release, which I think is very important for young people to do day release, the typical old style apprenticeship, because you're earning a little bit of money, you're working with people, and then you're actually getting involved in, um, in learning on a day release basis. 
Um, and it was then that I suddenly realised how useful mathematics, etc., was, and how I could apply mathematics. The problem is when I was at school, they said, "Oh, would you like to do applied mathematics?" And you go, "Oh my God, that that means advanced." You, you sometimes, as a young person, don't realise the significance mm. of the words. And I realised that applied simply meant you're making, you're applying the maths rather than just theorising with it. I'd have probably done that. Um, so yes, that that was quite significant. Unfortunately, when I went to the GPO engineers, it was more hands-on maintenance type work, and I hankered after being involved in what I delighted in, which was uh, engineering drawing. And eventually, when I left the uh, GPO engineers, I found myself uh, a company that was a specialist in um, engineering uh, design and special purpose machinery. And then from there, um, it really opened up a complete new world for me. So I was using my skills to full advantage. Now, unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Asymmetric? The next 12 months is now to get the system into the marketplace and raise the necessary funds uh, to do that, which we've got an, a superb man in place, a Dr. David Tainer. I also have some very good um, shareholder backers behind me, and uh, we now need to get the product moving into mass production. Well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I'd very much like to have you back on the program at some point in the near future. David, thank you. Thank you. That was David Appleford, founder of Asymmetric. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, yeah. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him, and has 
been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years. I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And, of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more, was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. On me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time 
maybe over this trip by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before I was I was playing. And I played with Jimmy Grees in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So mm-hmm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, Jeff, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, 
top quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we have some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and say, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want you've got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but no, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well, so it did... Um, and again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really 
struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. It, it's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I, I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke. And of course, in, uh, England fans who, um, I, I think probably yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe. Uh, it has a uh, helpful effect, uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at. Um, uh, Football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is. Is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely... Mm. You've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely. Astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it 
that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody... And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind in this, uh, single mind in this dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, Bruce. Good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time. 
goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.